Good morning to all of you and to those watching on Zoom. If there are uh, children with us to make your way so you can see the screen or hear my voice for a short children's message, it's good to see you. My name is Pastor Brandon and I'm here as a guest in your community and it's great to be here worshiping with you all. Um, today is the Feast of All Saints. So a feast in the church world means that it's a big celebration. It's a holiday. It's an important day. And today we call this feast All Saints. Have you heard this word before, All Saints? Yeah? Do you know anything about it? No? All Saints is a holiday in the church that we celebrate once a year at this time in November. And it's a special day where we remember everybody important to us in our community here and all around the world, those who have died in the last year. We get to remember them and remember all of the wonderful things about their life and the time we spent with them. That sounds like a really important day, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it does. It's one of my favorite days in the church year because we get to remember all of the people that we loved and the people that loved us. And one other thing I like to do on this day as well is not only remember the saints, God's people who are no longer living with us, but we can also remember the saints or the new babies that have been born in this last year too. A saint is a word that describes somebody that God loves. And you know who God loves? Everybody. everybody, right. So everybody is a saint, and that's why we call this day All Saints. So today we remember the loved ones who have died and the ones that we love who have just been born in this last year. That's a pretty big day, right? <laughs> so today, if you can think of anybody who loves you that's around you, they could be living, people that you used to know who have died, anybody that loves you, know that God loves them and that they are with you no matter what. That's what today's about. That's why we call this a feast day, a day of lots of celebration. Will you pray with me? All right, let us pray. God, we give you thanks for the saints in our lives, the people that you have given to us, the people you love, and the people who love us. Whether they are newborn babies we welcome or adoptions into new families or the people that have died in this last year or within our lifetime. We give you thanks for the things that they teach us and the things we can teach them. We know that we are all beloved children of yours and we know your love. May we feel that love today and forever. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much. It's good to worship with you today. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. The word if is perhaps one of the most powerful yet gut-wrenching words in the English language. And we use it all the time. Sometimes we tell children, if you behave, then you can pick out a piece of candy. 
But we also use it for incentive at our own places of work. If you sell more, you'll get a raise. Or if you work harder, you'll get a promotion. We even use this tiny little word to bargain with ourselves, others, and sometimes even God. If I just get up in the morning to exercise or to eat a good breakfast, everything will fall into place. Life will be better. God, if you let this one thing happen for me, I'll go to church more. When we use the word if, it becomes what we call a conditional statement. In the English language, there are four ways to construct these kinds of sentences, but the first and second conditional are the most common. People tend to use the first conditional the most. And these are the examples I've already given. If this happens first, then this will follow. It's a simple statement of fact. If I exercise, then I will feel better. We use the first conditional to motivate ourselves and others, but also to bargain. If I can do just this one thing, I'll be forever grateful. Then there's the darker, more plaguing second conditional. If I had been better, none of this would have happened. This second conditional ponders what the present or future could have been like if the past were different. I teach English as a second language, and this is one of the hardest grammar points for foreign language learners, both because of grammar, how you construct the sentence, but also because of the concept, what it means. It can be challenging to conjure up hypothetical present and future situations, but we still manage to spend so much time and energy doing so. If only is almost always a curse and never a blessing. The story of the raising of Lazarus has been described as the climax of this gospel. Lazarus, Mary, and Martha are all close friends of Jesus, and upon hearing of his death, Jesus and his disciples make their way to visit the sisters and to see where they have laid the body. When Jesus arrives, we read of the exchange he has with the deceased's lamenting sister Mary. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And there it is, a textbook example of the second conditional. If only something in this past had been different, in the present, death itself could have been avoided. How familiar is this to you? Maybe you yourself had said, have said similar words, and I'm willing to bet that you have at the very least heard others say something similar at some point in time. I have heard these words spoken not only as a pastor, but as an empathetic ear offered to my own family. And it's hard for me to respond to such a conditional because it has a way of imprisoning the soul of the one who utters the words. If only this were different. Every year, on the Sunday within the octave of the 1st of November, we gather as the body of Christ for the Feast of All Saints. In our festival liturgies, we remember those who have gone before us, and some communities also remember those born into our families this last year.
the saints who have gone, and the new saints given to us. Two weeks ago, as we were approaching Halloween, I read through on my own the 95 Theses of Martin Luther, something I always do on or around Reformation Day on the 31st of October. When I read these theological disputations, I reminded myself why Luther chose October 31st. The next day was to be the Feast of All Saints, November 1st, the busiest day at that time in the church year. People would flock to Mass to remember their loved ones who have died and to most likely purchase an indulgence, money spent to either free or lessen the time a soul would spend in purgatory. Luther wanted everyone to see and consider these theses, thus posting the night before the feast. Death has a way of being scary, of sobering us up to reality. Before it happens, we often try to do everything we can to avoid it, and when it does eventually come to pass, many of us find ways to cope, either by bargaining, by ignoring or numbing, or try by trying to figure out where it all went wrong and what we could have done differently. Lord, if you had been there, my brother would not have died is a statement that stems from grief, but it certainly does not make anything better. Now, we've only heard a portion of the Lazarus story this morning. If we back up a few verses, we see that before talking with Mary, Jesus encounters Martha. At first, she gives Jesus the same conditional as Mary, if you had been there attempting to place blame or to justify the event. But she continues. Hear the words of exchange between the grieving loved ones of Lazarus. Lord, Martha says, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask of him. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live, and everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one coming into the world. While preoccupied with a hypothetically different past and some eschatological distant future, Martha cannot see the present standing right in front of her in the form of Christ, God incarnate in the world. When Jesus says that Lazarus will be raised, he offers more clarification for her stating that the resurrection is now, not years from now. But I believe that she still doesn't quite understand because when he asks her if she believes it, if she really believes it, she responds with the answer she would have been expected to give, a canned response, if you will, rather than an answer that reflects her lived experience with Christ. She answered with not what she believes, 
but what, with what others are saying is true about him. In reflecting on this story, Gail O'Day from Wake Forest University School of Divinity asks an important question. She asks, will the faithful, both the faithful in the story and us, continue to contain Jesus within their own predetermined categories, however well-intentioned those categories may be? Or will believers allow Jesus to shatter those categories and offer them a radical fullness of his grace? How can we allow Jesus to shatter our preconceived notions of life, death, and resurrection? And how exactly do these notions prevent us from letting go of what happened in order to fully live into the present that will give us a future? We gather year after year to remember the dead, not because we cling to the past or because we wish things were different. We gather as a way to witness the communion of saints that, we, that are more fully themselves now than they ever have been. In their passing, everyone we remember today has become so intimately close with Christ that they are indeed a part of the larger cosmos. They are indeed Christ. No amount of bargaining or obsessing with the hypothetical past can change that, but it serves as a reminder of the connectedness of all things. They have claimed their resurrection promise. But it's not just for them. O'Day also writes that the victory over death that resurrection represents is available in the present moment in the person of Jesus, not only in some distant future. This is the gospel. Resurrection, love, the spirit, life, whatever you want to call it, is here and now, and death just becomes a fuller expression of this reality, love absorbing itself back into the great love that is the source of all things. Hypothetical conditional statements make it impossible to see this. Yes, it's human nature to ponder over the past, and perhaps we could have done things differently. It might have even put off death for some more time. However, nothing we can do will ever prevent God from doing the work of the resurrection. That is both hard to hear and liberating to hear. Nothing we do will ever prevent God from doing the work of the resurrection, whether it's renewed life in spirit in this life or in the life to come. Nothing. The saints we remember today are free if only we too could feel that freedom. If you believe, that is, if you trust in the life around you, everything around you, you will see that resurrection is our already present reality. Then, just like Lazarus being unbound by the cloth, letting go of our condemning conditionals can cause us, too, to be unbound and to be set free. The communion of saints have gone before us already know this, and perhaps that's all part of what this feast day is about. Freedom for all the saints, 
both living and well-living, because that's really the only kind of saint there is. Amen.